some of you read the uh, weekly update, and so you have some sense of what I'm about to do here. But um, so the, my favorite season of the year is happening right now. This is as, when we go from fall to winter. This is the most. This is the best time of year for me, because I always have this feeling like I might actually get to go skiing this year. Okay, money and health and just just being out of shape have not worked out so well for the last few. So I'm really excited, and I, as I was getting ready to maybe do some skiing, I went and tried on my ski jacket, and it turned out it had shrunk. I don't know how that happened. I've had it for 20 years. It seems like it should have stayed the same, but it shrunk. So I had to go out and buy a new one, and I found one that I like uh, quite a bit, and there's a lot of things I like about it, except for this. I just want you to see this here. This, this is how this jacket snips up. Now, I don't know about you, but only a giraffe could love this collar, okay? And, and the thing about this collar is, I'm trying to figure out how you actually ski with it. I'm working it all different ways. But the point is, is that with this collar, you can see it right here, if I tuck it under, and I try and look down, it does two things. One, if you're layered underneath, like you have to be when you're skiing to stay warm, it makes it virtually impossible to look down. And when you do, if you do it like I'm doing it, it's choking me, <laughs> which seems like a very bad thing for a coat to do. Uh, but, the, but the point is, is that it's very hard to look down and just see what's right here. And you would think, that's not such a great jacket, but it turns out if you're looking for a skiing jacket, it's a pretty good jacket to have. Because it turns out that when you're skiing, if you put all your attention on what's right in front of you, what's happening right here, which is what most skiers do, they're looking almost down at their feet to just kind of see what their feet are doing. And if you do that, what happens is you don't actually see what's coming and you tend to run into things like, say, trees, which is usually a bad thing. But it's worse than that. See, the point is, is what you do is if you get a collar that forces your head up, that forces you to look down the hill, then all of a sudden you start seeing what's coming. It's a really, it's a really interesting thing about skiing and life, that when you're not paying as much attention about what's happening right here, but about what's coming, you actually end up doing what's happening right now better, much better. In fact, what you really want to do is you don't want to just be looking at what's coming in the slope. You want to see where the slope goes because almost all slopes will disappear from view at some point. And you want to be looking at where it's about to disappear so you don't know what it looks like there, but you can imagine it in your mind and you can get some sense of it so that you are prepared and you get in the right position to take advantage of what this hill is about to do, right? This is, you guys, thank you for helping me so much on this. Uh, they've been helping with the ski stuff. So, but see, so the point is, wow, this is a really hot jacket. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get the point. Now, I think that that's our walk with Jesus. I think that what happens is, is that when we are, we have a tendency to look and to focus on the things that are making the most noise, the things that are happening right around us. And when we do that, what ends up happening is, is that you lose perspective. You don't see what's coming. And you end up running into things that you could have easily avoided, avoided. But even worse, you don't see the things that God is trying to bring, that he's trying to set you up for so that you're ready for it when it comes. Now, we are, in our culture right now, on Tuesday, 
facing an enormous noisy thing, the election. Every, I love this, every, every election cycle, whether it's off year like it is this time or, or presidential or whatever, every election cycle is always to every politician the most, elections, most important election cycle in the history of our lives. I don't know that this one is that, but I can tell you it is the most divisive. It is the most contested. It is unbelievable the degree to which we've already had incredible divide, but I want you to think about something and I want you to consider something. This is not a political sermon. I'm going to talk about politics a little bit, but the first thing I want to say very clearly is this. I am not speaking from right or left. If, you, if I say words and you think you heard something that sounds like right or left, and so you pigeonhole me and push a round peg into a square hole, please, I'm asking you to go back and look at the sermon and see whether or not I actually did that, because I didn't. Okay? And you could say, well, you did it and you just didn't know it, and maybe I did. And if I did, go ahead and talk to me about it. But the thing that I'm going after is... I am not talking about right versus left. Here's what I'm telling you. On Tuesday, virtually every scenario that you can come up with is going to lead to worse than what we have in terms of division right now. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about the division that is, exists between us. Because if the Republicans should hold on to the House and keep the Senate, the people who, are, who really feel very strongly about how, what a bad person the president is and how bad it is his policies are and so on are going to be extremely upset about how not only he could have won but how anybody could have voted for him. And it will take the, the divisions that we've seen for the last two years and it'll ratchet them up, up even higher. But take the, take the other side. What if the Democrats win the House and or the Senate? If that happens... First of all, obviously, people on the right are going to be very upset. But I think even much more problematically, the likelihood is, I'm not saying this, I'm not prophesying it, I'm just saying reason tells us that there's very likely to be so many investigations, so many hearings, so many things about everything you could possibly imagine to examine every single part of Trump's life and other things that there is very likely to be just an absolute horror show for the next two years. And that, that doesn't mean that you should vote Republican or vote Democrat. I'm not saying anything about it. I'm just telling you that, that there's a thing coming no matter what happens. No matter what happens, the, the, the volume is going to go to 11. It's going to be incredibly difficult, most likely. Now, here's the point. What if... Looking around right here, we see all this noise and this division, and we look and we have we get in consternation about it. Justine did unbelievable sermon last week. Absolutely need to watch it. Talked about it, your brain either being in defensive mode or discovery mode. I'm not going to go into it, but that's a concept that we're going to be working on a lot. The bottom line is, is when you're defensive, you shut down. When you're feeling threatened, when you feel these kinds of things, your brain shuts down to a much lower state than higher thinking does. The other way the brain can be is in discovery, where there's no threat, and so it's looking around to learn and grow as it does. But the bottom line is, is this is what we're looking at. We're either going to be a people who is going to be looking at the noise and the division and the heartache and the hardship and the, 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 the tremendous things that are going to happen, and we're going to get lost in it and become defensive ourselves, 
in which case we will not learn and we'll not grow. Or we're going to get our eyes up and see something that the Lord, I believe, is doing right now that completely changes our understanding and perspective on what's happening right now. And here's the point. That's not just, oh, well, then it won't be as anxiety-producing for you. No, it's different than that. If you don't get your perspective changed based on what's going to happen in terms of its anxiety-producing defensiveness, then you're going to run into trees. And worse, you're not going to be his instrument for bringing about the change in the slope that he's trying to bring. Because he's bringing a change in slope. That's what I'm proposing to you. I'm, I'm saying this is something I believe is a word from the Lord. And I'm asking you to be good Bereans. I'm asking you to check it in scripture. And I'm asking you to check it in your heart. And discern whether or not what I'm about to say is true. Because if it is true, it's going to change how you understand what's happening. And it's going to change what you're going to be in the midst of it. So with that very important thing, we have Jeff Kampal, who, who is going to be praying for us. And I just absolutely love this man, and I love their kid, and I love everything about them. They are just absolutely wonderful. So Jeffrey, would you please pray, and would you lift up another church too? Thank you, Lord, for this day. Um, please be with Kurt as he talks to us. Give him the words to say. Uh, give us the ears to hear it and the wisdom to understand it. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for Christ the Servant Lutheran Church in uh, Colorado. Please bless them and have them have your daily cars. Thank you, Lord. And I know it's Campbell. I just was freezing because I started thinking about the go thing I was talking to you about just a second ago, so my apologies. All right. 2016, you've heard it many times. I think it's important. It's really important for today. I'm on my walk in January of 2016, and I feel like the Lord told me that he is withdrawing his hand of protection over America to a degree, only in part, so that people will more fully experience the consequences of their decisions and their desires in order that he would bring us to repentance. Now, I want you to talk, I want us to think through what that means. If he's doing that, look, the first thing is, um, getting my clicker to work. All right, the first thing is, Progression of God leading us to repentance. Now watch. Here's the first step, Romans 1.18. We push God away until he finally withdraws restraint and protection a bit so that we experience more of the consequences of our desires. Now, what's the first season that you will enter into when God withdraws restraint? Is it repentance? God withdraws restraint and you, re you repent? Is that what happens? No, what does happen? Party, <laughs> right? God withdrew his restraint. Party on, dude. Garth, right? Party on. Restraint's gone. We let loose. We go after it, okay? We're, we've entered into a new freedom. Isn't this fun? And we're doing all the things that we're doing. Now, the problem is, if those things are not what God actually ordained, then there is sure to come what? A consequence, a hangover. Over time, we start to experience the consequences, we start to experience the hangover, the, the consequence of these decisions that we're making. Now, when that happens, then the people who are experiencing this, as these consequences start to kick in, they start to lose their mooring, don't they? They're like they were tied before, 
restraint. They were tied to something, but now they're sort of adrift in the middle of the ocean, and they begin to look around and see no safety. They see no land. They see no hope. They're wondering what the heck is going on, and they get unmoored. They get uncertain. They get insecure. Things happen, and what they'll start doing from that place is they'll begin to look to re-moor to something solid, something real. So that's the progression, right? I want to make this clear. I believe it's two years since I gave that word. I believe we've seen two years of that word being fulfilled. And I think that the next season that's going to come is people are going to start being open to those who are bringing something true. Because they've gotten unmoored. They've gotten, they've partied. They've gotten the hangover. They've had the consequences of it. And they're starting to wonder what's going on. And they're starting to get open. And I really believe in my heart that we're not there yet, but I believe we're right on the very cusp of it. I did this talk in two or three, I think, theologianeering groups. I did about 12 or 15 theologianeering groups. But in two or three of them, this became a theme that we talked about. And my apology to those who have heard this in some fashion. This is much richer and deeper than what we did there. But bottom line is, is I'm sorry about that, but I, I just, the more that I talked about it, the more that I prayed about it, and the more that I sought the Lord on it, the more I became convinced, and the more stories I heard about people saying, that's really interesting, and I can tell you a story about somebody that was completely closed off, and then God did something. So the thing that God is doing in terms of where the slope is going is, I think we're about to see a change in people. Now, there's lots of reasons for that, but I want to show you one right now. And I'm going to do something here. I was, I, I, okay, I've talked to you before about a doc, HBO documentary called Swiped, Hooking Up in a Digital Culture. Hooking up means sex, okay? Hooking up in a digital culture. Now, I need to make something incredibly clear because for this sermon, I had to go back and watch it again. And I just want to tell you, the verse that comes to my mind is Paul saying, there are some things that are too shameful to even talk about that people do. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you not to watch this documentary, okay? It is, the first half is one kind of a thing that's pretty tough and it shows you what's going on in our culture. The second half gets into stuff that you just, I'm just telling you, please don't. You're going to see what you need to see from what I'm about to show you, okay? And I'm just telling you, I'm just, does everybody get it? Okay, I felt like God told me to watch it because he wanted me to see something. And this is what he think he wanted me to see. And the first thing I'm going to do here is I'm going to show you, does every, I'm not even going to show, do not show your hand on this, but, but do you know what Tinder is? Okay, even if people haven't used it, they probably know what it is. But basically Tinder is an app that came out a few years ago. And the idea is, is that there's just pictures of guys and girls on it. If you're a guy and you're looking for a girl, then there's girl pictures coming across. And then I don't even know if you swipe left or right to accept or to not accept. I think it's swipe that way anyway, whatever. But you're looking at pictures, and when you see one that you like, then you swipe the opposite direction. And then if that person has also swiped right, I think, on you, then you match, and then you text. Now, I want to say something. I think the people that invented Tinder did not really understand what it was going to lose and what was going to actually happen with it very quickly. I'm not saying they didn't understand it at all. I just don't think that they understood it to the degree that you will now hear one of the people in a competing company to, to Tinder that came out two years after Tinder called Hinge, 
And Hinge is another one of these apps. There's a $2.4 billion industry that does this now. And I need you to understand, the people that do this industry, they know more about you than you do, by far. The, the things that they understand on, a, on the level that they understand it about human nature and what we do and why we do it and how we do it and all this kind of stuff is unbelievable. And the point is, is I want you to listen to the founder of Hinge talk about what's happening in the dynamic of dating. Okay? What's happening? A power shift that is taking place because of these apps. selective that they are in the way that they reflect their intentions for what they're looking for it's just it's just true that men and, and women taken as groups think about these things differently that doesn't mean all men are looking for a hookup it doesn't mean all women are looking for a relationship but on the whole a majority of women are looking pretty much exclusively for a relationship on these services and a majority of the men are primarily looking to hook up and you can say that that isn't so different than just like society at large, but I do think the way that these services are designed sort of like tips the scale and culture towards hookups and sort of gives men or gives those looking for hookups the upper hand essentially in this new world. Now, the point in part of this documentary the devastating, I mean, just like cut me to the quick part of it was this. You heard more than one woman say it, but you heard one in particular, and I just couldn't get it. I had to take out so many cuss words and descriptions and so on. I just couldn't run that particular clip. But there was one girl that basically said this, and it was clear that this was, she was representative of a whole lot of girls. Now, by the way, not all young people are on Tinder, okay? There's lots of people that aren't. But there are lots of people that are. And then people use it for other things. I'm telling you, when you know, there's people that have found mates and so on and everything else, and you can argue that kind of thing and everything else, but you just have to understand what he's talking about is, and what the documentary points out is, is that we're getting more and more and more towards hookup period. To the point, now listen to this. To the point, there's a girl that basically says this. This guy swiped right on me. So it is swipe right. So this guy swiped right on me. And I'm going over to his house. He wants to meet me at like 10, 11 o'clock at night at his house. And she said, I'm not stupid. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go over there and we're going to have sex. I've never met him. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything. But we're going to have sex. And I don't want to do that. But I do want to date. And if I do that, I might get a date. Think about that. I'm going to go have sex in hopes that I might start dating somebody that I could fall in love with and have a relationship with. This is bad. And I'm going to show you one of the girls now, one of the other girls who's talking about it. And can I tell you, the way that you need to watch this is the eyes. The eyes are the windows to the soul. And you're going to see this girl in this clip and then in one that comes after the next one. But I want you to look at her eyes because the words that she's saying, she's trying to say, it's not she's trying to be totally politically correct or anything to the contrary. But her eyes belie a much deeper heartache and pain than even the words that she's saying. So I want you to just 
I want you to watch her eyes, particularly at the end of things that she says, and then you see her reflecting on what she just said and realizing what it means. When I talk about people getting unmoored, when I talk about people needing to find the mooring, I want you to watch this girl. Like all the guys on there, they're not looking for but hookups and like quick that night hookups. Like if they want to schedule a date, they it has to, it's probably that night and they're probably going to try to have sex with you that night. I feel like I, I can't be myself or I don't want to like let them into like who I really am because I don't trust them. And like, I just don't want to get like, I don't know, my emotions like played with and crushed. So it's better to keep it out of it because they're not worth it unless they are. Because he got the bombshell bra on, face full of makeup, the weave or the wigs or some shit, yeah. And when all that comes off, then once they see the natural you, then they're not even attracted to you anymore. You see that? This idea that you have to, who you are has to be able to be presented in a photograph. And let's be clear about what that photograph has to be. It has to be something that would make a guy who wants to hook up swipe right. That photograph has to be incredibly sexualized. And I want you to see, I think this person right here, I didn't know why the Lord was having me watch this, and I was watching it, and I was, I was, even though I knew all of this, I was still shocked and hearing these young people talk about it. But this is the moment that I went, oh, this is why you wanted me to watch this. Yeah, because sex sells. Sex always sells. Go back to anything ever, and sex always sells and I hate it I hate it I hate it and I also hate the fact that like we live in this world now where everything and so much of what you are is so dependent on how you look and like I hate I'm getting really emotional about this it's like I hate sorry There's a part in Revelations where they say, how much longer, Lord? How much longer? 20 years ago, I'm in a Bible study in L.A., which admittedly was leading the country in this nonsense, in this sin. And I've told this story before, but I'm in a, it's mostly couples, but there's one younger, beautiful, smart gal, and we're praying, the whole group is praying, and I had this revelation from the Lord. And what he said to me was, and don't be offended at this first part, but he said to me, you guys think that what I'm upset about is abortion. And he wasn't saying that he wasn't upset about abortion. It wasn't, he wasn't saying that was no deal to him. But he said, I want to show you why I'm going to bring judgment on this country. Not saying that that wasn't it, but you understand. But that's what he said to me, so I can only tell you what he said. I want to show you why I'm going to bring judgment on this country. And then he showed me this girl sitting over here, his precious daughter, who was a Christian, a nurse, and it got out in the hospital that she wouldn't sleep with people because she was a Christian, and she couldn't get a date. This beautiful, smart, incredible woman couldn't get a date because the guys were hooking up. 
people that would sleep with him. And that's who was getting the relationships and being married and doing all the things that this girl wanted with all of her heart. And that's, I've been, ever since that moment, I've been saying, how much longer, Lord? And look at how much worse it's getting. This is a thousand times worse than that. And it hasn't gotten any better. I'm going to show you one last clip. And I need to preface it just a little bit. I need to set it up a little bit. The first thing is, is as boomers, we adopted a parenting style. And I'm at the end of the boomer chain, but I'm actually a little more to the middle than I always thought I was. But, but anyway, but the idea is, but the boomers always feel like the ones that came first. But anyway, whatever. But I fit in that category. But the point is, is that boomers, when they were parents, they had parents that were very much parents. Father knows best. You know, went to work, had suits, you know, mom did this, every, the roles were clear, da-da-da. And they had very much, there was very much a division between parent and child. And the boomers said, that's not any good. And so they reversed that. And they said, what I'm going to become is my child's friend. Now, that's not all bad. Honestly, that's not all bad. It has had consequences, like all things do, unintended consequences. But the bottom line is, is I want to tell you something right now, and this is why you have to have this in your head in order to understand this clip. Because what we've been seeing in this documentary up until now is a world that their parents are completely clueless about. They have no understanding. This woman, the older woman that you'll see in the clip, she goes on, I didn't keep it recording, but she goes on to say something along this line, and she goes on to say, you know, it's Facebook and Twitter, you know. And I was going, if Facebook and Twitter were all we were talking about, we would not be having this conversation. We're talking about apps on your daughter's phones that if you knew about it, you would throw their phones into a vat of acid immediately, and then you would pour that out in the middle of the sea in hopes that there wasn't even one iota of it left to get into anybody's hands. If you knew what was really going on as a mother, in fact, I want to say this, and then, now watch this. I think there's something that's very important for us to understand as human beings. Ever since Jesus Christ, there is an inexorable move towards individualism started by Jesus Christ. It's a God thing. There is an, right now in the world today, in the Asian cultures, there's still a group mentality. What is best for the group is what's best for me, and I gladly sacrifice who I am for the group. But when Jesus came into the earth, <clears throat> he gave us another paradigm. And the paradigm was is that you as an individual have value, immense, enormous, utter value. God loves you individually and personally. And the whole of the world is going more and more and more to the individual. That's the, that is the march that we're doing, the value of every single person. To the point that millennials have pointed out something that's really important for particularly people that aren't millennials to understand. When somebody walks up to you and says to you, my mom just died, here's the way that we respond from our paradigm, the old paradigm. We respond, oh man, that is terrible. I know how you feel. My mom died too. That's what we say. Now that seems perfectly logical and reasonable, doesn't it? Comfort, where you've been comforted, it's scriptural. And there's truth in that. But here's what the problem is. Here's what millennialism has taught us. You do not know what somebody else's experience is, period. You don't know it in classes like you do not know. If you're a white person and you've suffered and been poor, you do not know what it is to be a black person in the ghetto. 
as much as you may have some point of reference, you do not know what their experience is. You cannot know it, and you've got to get grips on that you do not know the fullness of their experience. Again, it's not that it's not okay to have some empathy and some connection in yourself, but the other thing that you have to do, what millennialism has taught us is, you have to get to the point to where you understand that you do not know the individual's story. And until you hear it, you do not know what they're actually going through in truth and in fullness. And that what we must do, what we must do as Christians is hear their story. What Jesus knew was their story. He didn't give us the, here's how to save everybody in the world, five steps. Do remember, as Christians, we used to have five steps. Right? Four? Four steps, sorry. That's how much I learned it. But do you get it? So the point is, the thing that I want you to see is when this boomer mom is talking to her, not even millennial anymore, these, I think these kids are younger than that. I think they're, they're calling it Generation Z. I don't think that's going to stick. I think there's going to be another name that's better. But, but, but when she's talking to her, what she's doing is she's coming at it as if she understands what they're going through. And here's why I'm setting this up this way. You're going to hear the mom speak for a long time telling a story that seems perfectly reasonable to tell. And then the camera's going to cut from the mom to the daughter that you saw in the first of the two girl clips and her friend to the girl's left, our right. And I want you to look in the eyes of those two people after they've heard their mom's story. Because the daughter is furious with the mother. And the friend next to her is like, this woman is so clueless. That's why they can't get a relationship. We're finding out. We're helping y'all. But you know what? This old man, he told me, he said, the fruit on the top of the tree is the best, freshest fruit. He said, you always want to have to reach to get what you want. He said, the fruit at your foot on the ground, you don't want that. The fruit is throwing itself at you, leave it alone. Am I telling the truth? Hello? I think people, older people, like their 50s and 40s, they don't really get what it means to date now. And they kind of don't understand. Like, of course, we want to, like, get married and have kids and stuff, but it's not that easy. You can't get yourself pregnant and marry yourself. I don't know what, what y'all problem is, because I've never had well, a problem with Well, we didn't have social media. Right. Do you hear that? I never had a problem dating. I know what you're going through. You just, it's also the same. It was just like it was when I was there. And we've just watched 20, 30 minutes of girl after girl after girl talking about thing that that mom has no idea about. None. There's a thing that's happening in the world when people get unmoored, they start to drift. They start to look for something that's true. And it has to be true, true. In fact, watch this. We talked about this progression, right? But they become open to what's truly true. But there's something that's key about what's truly true. It has to resonate with who God made them. 
individually. Here's what doesn't work. That woman was talking in generalisms as if it fit their life. It not only was wrong on its face, it was wrong in style. It was wrong for her to think that her general principle could in fact fit truly the individual that she was talking to. I'm talking about sharing the gospel here. You all get that, right? I'm talking about the fact that we have to change how we share the gospel. The first thing that we have to do is to know what a person is actually dealing with. When somebody is telling you a story, you know what you have to be doing? Listening. Really listening. Really paying attention to what they're actually saying. Now, by the way, there is something you can do which is still absolutely listening. And it goes like this. Pray like mad in the spirit. Because as I keep saying, the spirit crushes down what you might think, what your reactions might be, and it starts to bring up what Lord might have to say. Because what's going to save them is not your generalized doctrine. What's going to save them is your particular revelation. What's going to resonate with them, what's going to make a difference inside of them is when you say something to them that all of a sudden in their particular uniqueness that God knows and you couldn't resonates in them in life. Do you see it? What brings us to repentance is the personal touch of God. It isn't that you heard doctrines and you went, why those make sense. God touched you individually, personally, where you needed, in the way that you needed, in the way that you could hear it, and that's what changed you. It's as personal to each one of us as is our fingerprint. <coughs> and as I've been arguing, a new season's coming. And one of the ways is through the political divide. I want us to switch our attention back now to the political divide. And I want you to see some things. But we must be. We must be like Jesus and who he made each one of us to be. He will put you in relationship with the people that you know how to communicate the thing that he wants communicated. You are uniquely designed to reach the people that he has connected you with. Do you see that? And if we will humble ourselves and not assume that we know them when we don't, if we will listen to them and will pray like crazy, you will find the Lord doing all kinds of things, including perhaps bringing up something from yourself that happened. Or maybe something else. Who knows? But what it is, is Holy Spirit-led. But it's you that he's doing it through. <coughs> I want you to see this. In our political debate right now, it is incredibly common for the passions of the world to be overwhelming the purpose that God made us for. God blesses those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. Now, here's we, we, in this political conversation, we're thinking this way. Oh, what we're talking about here is, is you need to bring the Republicans and the Democrats together. No, that's not what it's talking about here at all. 
Here's what it is talking about. You need to bring people back to a saving relationship with their Savior, with the only one that gives them hope, with the only one that can do anything about any of this. That's what bringing peace means, bringing reconciliation. When Jesus is risen again and sees the disciples for the first time, he says, peace, because they were afraid, but then he breathes on them and says, peace, peace. I'm going to reconcile you with God. In fact, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What are we supposed to be doing in the world? Are we supposed to be arguing the political divide? No, we're supposed to be reconciling, but let's be clear about something. Does that mean you can't argue the political divide? This is a huge mistake that's being made right now by, by the huge center because there are the zealots on one side and the zealots on the other side who are willing to speak and they get plenty of feedback in the echo chamber and they think everybody's listening and agreeing. And the fact is, is most people are just afraid to speak up. Most people do not feel exactly how they feel. They may even agree with some of what they're saying, but not all of what they're saying. But they're not willing to say something. The people in the middle are not willing to say anything because they don't want to be a round peg mashed into a square hole and stereotyped and put on the shelf as being something that they are not. And they don't know how to defend themselves against that. They go into a defensive mode, Justine's thing, and they shut down and they just say, Here, here's, an, here's an interesting thing that people do all the time right now. They say, well, I'm pretty much apolitical. And then they go on to tell you what they really feel about politics. That is not being apolitical. Apolitical is, I don't care about it. So I'm not thinking about it. I don't have any opinions about it. I don't care about it. Here's what God has asked us to be. He's asked us to be reconcilers. Now, just carry this thought with me for a second, but watch this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Tell me, in most political debates, are those the traits that you see coming from Christians? I mean on the right and the left. Is that what you see? Because I don't. I see a violation of at least half of them. Love? Yeah, some people, but not that person. I hate that person. Joy? I guess if you love to fight. Peace? No way. Patience? No, man, you got to fire back. Kindness? Any generosity of spirit here? Goodness? Faithfulness? Gentleness? Are people being gentle? Is that what we're being? Because it doesn't feel like that. It feels like we're being hateful and it feels like we're out of control. Now again, I want to make something clear, see? Look, we cannot let our worldly passion overpower our purpose. But when I say that, and here's where this is. Look, we're all sin-infected, sin-contaminated. Our best efforts, our, our good works, works prepared, Ephesians 2.10, works prepared for us to do before the foundations of the world. God prepared you to do certain unique individual things. You're supposed to do them. You're going to do them one of two ways. Cleanly and purely as God would have you or sullied. Grease-stained rags, which is actually filthy rags, which is actually menstrual cloth. I'm sorry. But what he's talking about is, is that we take our, our worldly passions and we let them infect us in a way and we don't become the fruit of the Spirit. We don't manifest the things that God is making us and transforming us into. We don't do that and we end up soiling what he's trying to do. We, t he, we take the good work and we don't make it a good work anymore. It's a good work and another thing. Mixed together, admixed. That's what he's talking about here. Our motives and his mixed together.
in an unholy mixture. Now, again, I'm going to say this. Look, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. People will hear what I say. This happens all the time to me on Facebook. I don't post much on there anymore about politics, but I do it once in a while. And even just recently, this happened, where somebody took it to mean, oh, you're saying that I can't talk about politics. Absolutely not. If you are politically inclined, and by the way, I think if you care about the world, which God does, you, you, if he's made you that way, you should be involved in the discussion. We can't have the discussion right now because it just goes bam, and nobody wants to be in it except for the people that like that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, what's happening actually is that vast middle of people who are saying nothing and thinking that that's okay, to some degree, you are a good person who is not doing anything and you're letting something else prevail. That's just the truth. And I'm not talking about right or left here, am I? I'm talking about either side. I'm talking about the fact that there's something you're supposed to bring. Have I made it clear enough over the years now, over the last two years that I've been talking about this, have I made it clear that I believe with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength that there are things about compassion and care that liberals do that are absolutely according to the Lord? I'm not saying everything they do, do does that, but I'm saying that there is a compassion and a care for human beings on an individual basis and in a way that I think is the heart of God. And at the same time, when I go to the right, I think that there are principles about how to help people and ways of helping them that don't actually end up hurting them inadvertently and so on. And so there is great value to be found there too. That's what I believe. I also believe that there's a lot of bad stuff over there too. I believe that all of the world, for me, the world is gray. It's just some shade of gray. We are all, as the scripture says, soiled by our own motives. And what God is trying to do is he's not trying to take us out of the debate. He's trying to put us in the debate as he would have us be there, not as we want to be there. When we talk, and if you don't want to be on Facebook, God bless you. I don't care. But I do think that we need to be talking. And we need to be talking to people in a real way, in an individual way, in a personalized way, in a way where we've prayed and we're saying something that isn't some doctrine, that isn't some principle. You do realize the death of religion comes in its doctrine, right? Even though doctrine is critically important. But when what you're about is doctrine, you lose the spirit. And you don't apply the doctrine right, and you end up being a Pharisee. You got all the rules just right, except that you're violating everything the Lord wanted. Right? So I don't say, I don't say bow out of it. I'm a political person. I like politics. Like might not be the right word right now, but I think that they're important and I think that they do enormous good for people potentially. And I think that they potentially do enormous harm to people. And so I care and I think and I post and I comment and I talk. But you absolutely have to be true to the God-breathed word. Can I tell you this? The word is under the biggest attack that I've ever seen. And I went through higher critical back in the 60s. And I thought higher critical was a really bad one. But what's happening right now with the word, both from people outside the church and from people in the church, here's what people are doing now. They're making God in their own image. And if the word doesn't line up with it, then they're explaining away the word 
or they're just setting it aside right there, or they're just doing, they're picking and choosing one from column A and one from column B, but not column C, because that doesn't comport with who I want him to be. The word is Jesus. You can't have some of him. You gotta have all of him, or you end up in effect having essentially none of him. Every part of scripture is God-breathed. It is useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes. If you're defining what the word has to say and you're not letting the word define itself, how are you going to have it correct you? Because you're telling it where it's wrong. Essentially. Correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks, the things that God has prepared for us to do since before the foundation of the world. But as I just said a second ago, if you just have the word, you become a fundamentalist and you become as bad as a Pharisee. You've got to have the Holy Spirit leading you in absolutely every single thing that you do. Jesus did this. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Didn't he also, didn't we just read a scripture a second ago that said, you know, that, that we're to do what Jesus did? That what Jesus did was brought reconciliation and that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation? And how did Jesus bring reconciliation? Did he say all the things that he thought personally? Now, of course, he did think those because he's God and he you know, was in line with God. But you get my drift? He wasn't speaking from what he thought. He was only saying what the Lord told him to say. And I want to say something. In your political discussions, you should only be saying what the Lord's telling you to speak. You have no idea. If you'll be like Bezalel, and if you'll construct that tabernacle in the way that God has ordained, it will reveal God. If you go out and add your own stuff to it, it'll look like another poorly built house that gets knocked over by the wind and the waves. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. That is who we should be. It's not just in saying things to people, it's in being something. We need to be like Christ. That's whose image we're being transformed into. And by the way, if you'll let that happen in your life, you'll start seeing how much better it is than anything you ever tried to do. And you'll be fully on board with doing that more and more and more, letting it become more and more and more purely and only Christ, only the Holy Spirit, who will take you through the most transformative things. A few weeks ago, I want you to see how much God's speaking to us. A few weeks ago, Robert spoke, and he talked about this very thing, about the fact that if you'll let the Holy Spirit move through you, if you'll let the Holy Spirit do what he can do, I'm talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about being a charismatic I'm talking about if you will let the Holy Spirit lead everything that you do, you will see things and enter into things that will be so much better than anything that you have ever seen or even thought of that you will never ever want to go back to the other thing again. In your flesh you may and you will repent of it quickly because it isn't better. God's way is always better. Always. When we do this in fullness, when we do these things, be like Jesus. Don't let our passions overpower our purpose. When we're true to the word, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, when we do that, we bring God, who is life with a capital L. 
And that's what a world who is being unmoored and is looking around for something to moor to, it is Jesus who walks on water out to them and gradually picks them up and carries them home. Teaching them, by the way, how to walk on water too. This is what we're doing here. This is what God is doing. And just as a corollary, remember I said something. Because of what's happened before, it doesn't mean you understand everything that's about to happen. But we do have and we do learn from history, don't we? And I want to just show you something. I'm old enough to have gone through one of these things that we're going through right now before. And it was called the 60s. And as bad as things are right now, it wasn't even close to what we experienced in the 60s. I'm telling you, it wasn't. Now, the the sex thing, that's worse. But you talk about divisions and you talk about families separating, you talk about friends and you talk about all this kind of stuff. Vietnam War, 50,000 Americans died what was it, how many hundreds of thousands were injured? How many hundreds of thousands came back? PTSD and all of the other symptoms. Drug addicts, the whole nine yards. Here's a march. Peace march. Impeach Nixon. Sound familiar? It affected everybody. It's one of the richest girls in the world at that time. Simonese Liam. That thing. This is an attack in a city. This is what was happening in cities. It wasn't just pipe bombs being mailed through the mail. It was an army of people that were literally at war in the streets, and they were blowing up buildings and having the caption on this title is gun battle. They were having a literal battle like you'd have in Vietnam in streets of American cities. This is what was happening then. And a huge, look at this. Anybody remember that? Martin Luther King is one of my favorite people of all time, and I know that he had his problems, but Martin Luther King did something extraordinary. What he said was, is we are not going to win by pushing back with violence. We are going to win by letting people be so violent to us that people in their living rooms will see the horror of what people are doing to us, and they're going to be repelled by the power that's being used against peaceful demonstrators. This picture right here was one of the pictures that brought about the civil rights movement and changed the course of it. Up until that time, there was tremendous division about all of this. After this, people started saying, you can't sick dogs on human beings. This is not okay. You cannot put water cannons in the street and blow people up against walls. You cannot do that to human beings. And look what it led to. And I know we've got a long ways to go to finish what it was begun here. But I got to tell you what was before this and what was after this. Huge. You want to know how to change things? Be like Martin Luther King. Get a hold of what he got a hold of. What did he get a hold of? God. Jesus. He spoke the truth prophetically. And it changed hearts. It wasn't just that. Free, the summer of free love, the beginning of the sexual revolution, as we call it, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. This is what happened 
in the first movement of God withdrawing his hand of protection so that people would experience more fully the consequences of their actions. And initially, all of everything in the 60s seemed so good. I'm telling you, I was young, but I was close enough to it to see it. It seemed so good. I wasn't a Christian, so I wasn't evaluating it in that way. But there were so many things about people getting free from things that were, that were corporate structures and then military industrial complexes and all kinds of stuff that was real and that was important and it was a rebellion. And there were really good things at the very beginning of it. But then it started to turn, didn't it? Anybody who was there knows. Things that was just sex became STDs. Things that were drugs became addictions. Things that were this and that, they all changed. Martin Luther King's is the one that went on because he did it God. But the other things were just us experiencing hangovers. And people got to a place to where they were unmoored and they didn't know what would happen. And in 19, in the late 60s and in the early 70s, what happened? The first movement was restraint and then the Jesus movement. And this is what I'm arguing to you today. That's 100,000 people gathered in 1972 to celebrate Jesus. All of them hippies. This is Calvary Chapel down in L.A. Thousands of people going to the beach all the time, all over, and people just getting baptized by the hundreds all the time. They would drive a van up to people on the beach, and they would say, hey, you want to go to a party? And who wasn't going to go to a party in the 60s? They'd stick them in a van, and they'd drive them to church, and every single one of those people in that van would get saved, and to this day are still saved. It starts, repentance starts with God withdrawing his restraint and people let loose with the liberation. But it then produces a consequence that opens people up to a truth. And the things of God are true and they're more true than anything the world has. And when they go into a heart, they change the heart. They change the person. I believe it's going to be totally different than the 60s, but I believe that the pattern is repeating. And I believe that we're at a place to where right now the people in this room, if you will get ready, you will begin to see something. Now, I forgot to put a slide up here, but I'm going to do it right now. How many of you are getting our Empower Prayer? Just raise your hand if you would. If you don't know what that is, would you please do me a favor? Open up your phone. If you have the app, look at it and get on it. If you don't have it, I'm asking you, get your phone out and email me right now and say, I'd like to get the Empowered Prayer. But somebody, would somebody read the one that we prayed for Callan Rasmussen today? Would somebody just read that? Callan's back there on the camera. And today, I want you to see this. I want you to see what the exact words are of that prayer. Okay? Because this is, I was not thinking this when we put this prayer together. And when we did it, the people on the staff said, that isn't the right wording. Why don't we just pray for people? Why do we have to pray this very specific thing? And I said, I don't know. I can just tell you. It feels like we're supposed to be praying these words. And this was months ago. And now listen to what it says. Please pray for Callan Rasmussen. Now listen. To trust God, be bold, be anointed to do whatever God leads them to do to reach someone else. Isn't that what I just preached? 
If you want to be part of this, if you want the whole congregation praying for you, email me. Email the church. Email right here. Sign me up. Is, oh, there's a card right in front of you that says sign me up. Just hold that up. There's a card right in front of you that says that. And sign up. I'm telling you, I want to, here, thank you. I want us to all be praying for this. I think the Lord has gone before us, and I think the Lord is trying to do something. Do you? Does it bear witness? Then, Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you, to anybody that it doesn't bear witness in, I'm asking you, if I'm wrong, correct me. I don't want to prophesy something that isn't true. God, but if I'm right, if this is true, if this really is a word from you, if you really are doing something, if you really are about to take us around a bend in the slope to a new pitch, a new face, a new, a new thing that is going to be us being used by you to bring our loved ones to you, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. You are not telling us to stand on a soapbox and pronounce into the air things that cause judgment against you. You're telling us to love the people that you've already put in our lives and to love them so much that when they get unmoored and you quicken us, that we are your instrument to do your will. We are asking you to keep us clean, to keep us separate from the way in which the world would try and sully that so that our witness, so that our ability to reach them and bring them to you would be soiled, would be impacted to the negative. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we are asking you, God, we are saying as Isaiah did when he saw the glory of the Lord, and we see your glory now, Lord. We've got our eyes up, and we don't look at the noise around us anymore. We look at the path that you're on, and the path that you're on is one that brings people that we love to you. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, bring us to you. Bring them to you. Bring us, take us. Here are we, said Isaiah. Here am I, send me. And we say, each one of us right now, as we are here, here am I, Lord, send me. Say that, would you? Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Anoint me, empower me, make me bold to do whatever it is that you want to do through me that I might reach them for you. Bring life, God. This world is draining life. We are draining it by the bucketful now. In Jesus' name, fill us back up. Plug the holes and fill us with goodness, with God. In Jesus' holy and precious name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We see it and we ask you to use us in it. And we seal it now by reaching forward and grabbing these two cups. And in the bottom cup is this life that we have lived that has been separated from the Lord. That has gone another way. That's gotten caught up in things of the world. That's gotten caught up in other things or that's just disconnected. That's done all kinds of things and we have not been the fullness that you wanted us to be in the world, in your kingdom, anywhere. In Jesus' name, we see the brokenness. And so we put our finger in there and we say, we see it. But now we lift up that brokenness and we look through this cup to the cross. Jesus who heals us completely. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, as we take your body, we are asking you to heal us utterly. Heal us, Lord. Heal us. Make us whole. Take together, would you?
now in Jesus' spectacular name, we lift this cup in which is this life that you have laid out to us, this raising our eyes and seeing the bigger perspective, seeing where things are going, that we might be prepared for it, preparing ourselves for it, getting in a place where you could use us, not running into things, rather just really smoking down that hill. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, let us catch you and catch the thrill of what it is to be used by you. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, let us live in the fullness of that life. So take this cup together. Thank you, Jesus.